Morning, everyone. <laughs> I don't know how you manage with this so low down mark. There we go. I feel I can preach now. Good. As we were worshipping, I was reminded of a proverb. Proverbs 25 and verse 2 says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to search out a matter. And I wondered why God might have, I felt reminded by the Lord about a bit of his word to us. And I believe there's at least someone here this morning who is drowning in questions and hoping for a solution to come by finding answers. And God wants to speak to you from his word this morning, which says, you know, if he chooses to conceal things from you, that is good. And if he chooses to reveal things to you, that is good. But both are good. And there is a place of peace to be found whilst still asking questions. And your good future does not depend on you finding all the answers, but it depends on you sitting within God's will for your life, knowing as much or as little as he pleases. So if that word's for you, suck it up. I mean, receive it in the name of the Lord and enjoy his dealings in your life. Um, now then, uh, where are Dave and Susie? Are they, are you, I can see Dave and Susie's already headed out. Well, just wanted to say hi, uh, as do others as well. Um, many of you obviously know uh, Dave and Susie, and uh, you guys have had a tough year. Uh, we're delighted to have you here with us. It's not the only time that you're here in Oxford through the summer, but I wanted to make sure that everyone knew that, that the Bickfords are back from China, uh, and you're in Oxford on and off over the summer. So this isn't the only opportunity, but if you want to make sure you connect with Dave and Susie, you might want to make sure you grab them this morning uh, and find out about that. It's great to have you with us. And I'm, I'm looking forward to a chance to catch up at some point. Not that we've arranged it yet, but I'm sure we will. Good. Um, can we have the PowerPoint up, please? Can you imagine discovering a geezer? I, I, hoped, um, I hope that that song that we had at the beginning of the morning sticks in your brain and keeps you awake at night. Geezer, 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 geezer. Uh, it sounds a little bit like you're in the East End of London, I know. <laughs> but that was deliberate. I want it to be like a little worm in your head. That was the point. Uh, in order to keep it in mind, what would it be like to discover you're walking along, it looks like there's a little pond, and suddenly, woof, there's power that you weren't expecting. And you might think, well, that was a one-off. And wander around and sit down with your picnic, and then be surprised to discover at some Soon coming moment, whoosh, up it goes again. There is a, an, an ongoing, abundant source of power. It's right underneath your feet. If you live in Iceland, you can just drill down into the ground and stick some bits of metal there to conduct the energy up. And there's an, as more energy than you'll ever need to drive your turbines and keep your house warm and make life work. 
there is more power available to us uh, in some, in some, to people in some parts of the world than you'd expect. And um, my theme for this morning is about discovering this powerful source of energy. I was pleased to hear Avril uh, encouraging us this morning that we are heroes of the faith. My goal this morning is to celebrate the place of power in the Christian life and to show you that this power, it's available to us in abundance. As the uh, now old song goes, God's word to us, I am building a people of power. I am building a people of power. We are children of the King of Kings, and he is building us up to be a people of power. But I wonder this morning how you feel about that word power. Here's a powerful looking guy. Uh, I wonder what this word power feels like to you. And my expectation is that there are some mixed feelings. Some of the ladies here will be saying, well, it would be a bloke looking muscly, wouldn't it? And maybe this sounds like a manly thing. I don't know. Uh... Power is the ability to make things the way that you think they should be. Power is the ability to make things the way that you think they should be. And uh, it's a good thing, but our feelings about it can be all a little bit tangled up. And not just the male-female thing, but issues of, of race and of empire and of oppression and abuse may all come to mind as dangers associated with power. Uh, Here's another guy who may be looks less powerful. This is Lord Acton, second baronet of somewhere, of Acton, presumably. It was him who said, power tends to corrupt. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. Great men are almost always bad men, even when they only exercise influence and not authority. You know, sometimes there are little phrases that, that, that exist in our culture which almost take on the status of having the authority of Scripture in our thinking. For the great many of us, we will have quoted Lord Acton and said, oh yeah, power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely, almost as if it was scripture. That is an authoritative word, as if it was straightforwardly true. There's something in this that we need to, you know, we don't need to, but we might do well to pay attention to. There are dangers in power. This is not scripture. There's a certain irony in these words being spoken by a peer of the British realm at the height of British Empire. Uh, Lord Acton, depending on your politics, you might like this or not, also said socialism means slavery. Uh, 
he is not... Anyway, the point is that we may have some thinking in our heads that is not straightforwardly right and true concerning power. Let's just take another few short statements from a reliable source. The New Testament says to us in Acts 1, chapter 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And that's a promise. It's a promise to all believers in Christ that the Holy Spirit will come upon us. And when that happens, we'll receive power. Yeah, wonder-working power, in fact. Yeah, so I'm not trying to correct you. Right, power. <laughs> and it's a wonder-working power. Um, it goes even further in 1 Corinthians 4. The kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Hmm. I wonder how much of our Christian lives are characterized by discussion. There are times for discussion to end and power to take over. Or at least to ensure that the words that we speak are not just our own, but they're the words of the Lord which come with power. When Paul wrote to his spiritual son and disciple Timothy, he said, look, you've not got a spirit of timidity. <laughs> British people can be very timid, can't we? It's like, uh, I'm very sorry to disturb you, but I'm sorry, but I think you're sat on my child. <laughs> would, would you be ever so good and consider moving, please? <laughs> That's Britishness for you. Uh, it's not the way in the kingdom of God. Well, we might still need to be polite occasionally, but there's, it's not a timid politeness. It's power, which of course goes with love, and it requires some self-control. Uh, another apostle in the New Testament, James, the prayer of a righteous person has great power. It's effective. It does stuff. It brings things about, things that need to change are made to change. When righteous people pray, and we're made righteous because of what God's done for us, not our own righteousness, there's a power in the Christian life. Now, God wants us to have power, and there's a reason for that. Um, we are in a battle. There is good and there is evil at work in the world. This is from the last emperor. You know what? There are more important battles going on than those found in twee Disney films. Uh, there are some real battles going on in the world. And I'm not just talking, I'm talking about military battles, but there are battles against hatred and division and strife. There's a battle against confusion and bitterness. There are battles against infidelity and betrayal, against injustice and despair. There are battles in this life that matter. And it matters that as Christian men and women, we find victory in those fights. It, it, it is not trivial or unimportant what takes place in those battles affects the future of many, affects the future of our own lives. And some of you will would know absolutely that you're in a battle. You're feeling like you... I'm not telling you anything you don't know. It's a daily experience that you are fighting, fighting, fighting. 
Others perhaps are having a bit of a good time in life at the moment, and uh, this sense of battle has maybe receded a little bit. But it's always true that there is a cosmic scale battle at work in the world. There is a prince of darkness who is uh, is the prince of this world. Uh, He's never a king, (laughs) but, but has some power. And then there's the kingdom of God that's advancing. And there is a battle royal going on all around us. And for that reason, God wants us to be strong. He wants us to be powerful. He doesn't want us to be overrun by every attack that comes our way, but to be a people of power, to be men and women who are mighty in our faith, not just getting by, but as Romans 8 says, we are more than conquerors. We are uber conquerors. We don't just occasionally win. It is is in the warp and weft of the Christian life to experience God's power, and to experience victory. So there is a kind of power, a spiritual power, that is endlessly available to us. As Rod read this morning, it comes as a river from inside us. And it's a never-ending stream. There's a bubbling brook, a gushing geezer. (laughs) You may have met some gushing geezers in your life. I don't know whether you liked them or not, but there's a gushing geezer and a bubbling brook, a rushing stream that supplies us with inner resources and outer strengths. Here are some of the things that God pours into us by this spiritual power. The power to escape temptation. You know, sometimes the best victory is running away. And uh, he gives us power to flee from temptation and not stay there to lose. Uh, Sometimes the power to endure. Sometimes when you're in a battle, you know, just to stay standing. Just to stay still upright. Praise God. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes he gifts us with knowledge about who he is, which is transforming for us inside, out. And I could keep going on this. He gives us the power to resist sin. All these strengths that he puts in us to make us resilient. makes us strong. And there are things that come out of that strength into our lives as well. Insight that is transforming for how we develop our confidence. And the power to serve people. The power to be generous. Uh, In that little uh, moment of an offering that we took this morning, some of you will have exercised considerable power by being generous in your giving in a way that's going to bring about good in the world. Uh, An exercise of power that goes on. And of course, the more things that we think of as more spiritual, but they're not more spiritual than all of these things, but the miracles that take place, uh, we (laughs) can pray and see healing and all manner of miracles that God does because he loves people. I wanted to read to you a little story just to uh, remind you of what it is that God can do. This is a story from the 1950s. God was at work in the 1950s. Yeah. Uh, And it's about an, an American evangelist by the name of Tommy Hicks. I don't know if you know anything about him. Uh, When he was in his 40s, 
he was praying one day and God showed him a vision. He saw a map of South America laid out clearly before him and this map appeared covered with a vast field of golden wheat which was bowed over with its ripeness ready for harvesting. As he looked, all of these stalks in his vision suddenly turned into human beings, men and women with their hands raised in the air, and they were calling to him, Come, Brother Hicks, come and help us. This is like a a Macedonian call, if you know that story from the New Testament, of people from another place, and a vision given, Come over, it's a place for your ministry. And so he knew that God must have something special for him to do in South America, that he, he knew next to nothing about that part of the world. As he prayed, he felt God giving him a message, and he scribbled this message down on the inside cover of his Bible. Two summers shall not pass over the earth before you will go to this land, and you will not go by boat or by land, but as a bird flying through the air. Now, bear in mind, this is the early days of aviation. So that was a bit like you and me being told that we go in some kind of supersonic jet or something. It's like, well, that's not, not just what you'd... Ex- we'd, we'd assume you fly to South America. Not so in the early 1950s. Three months later, he was with some other Christians in another part of, uh, of America, and a woman stretched out her hands towards him and prayed out, and to his amazement, repeated exactly the identical message that he'd written in his Bible. He'd not told anyone about it. So, as soon as he could, he made arrangements to travel to South America. He had very little money. Some of you can relate to that. Uh, but cash began to arrive by post. And he soon was sufficiently financed to buy a one-way ticket to Buenos Aires uh, with a little bit of cash spare for his pocket. And it wasn't one journey, but several legs. And after... uh, When he was... Just hold on. I'm trying to read this a bit more quickly, but not succeeding. Uh, Before the last leg of his flight from Chile onto Argentina, one word came into his mind. The word was peron. He had no idea what it meant, but felt it must be relevant. So on the flight, he asked one of the cabin crew if she knew what the word peron meant. And he said, yeah, that's the president. She said, yes, that's the president of Argentina. So Tommy Hicks was encouraged, (laughs) but he was somehow on course. And actually had a deep conviction that he needed to visit and see the president himself. So when he arrived in Buenos Aires, he spoke to the local believers and said, can I meet your president? And they were skeptical. Uh, Especially since there was currently a state visit going on from the president of Panama. Uh, But Tommy Hicks persisted and eventually was granted a meeting with the minister of religion. It's kind of what you'd expect for some religious person arriving in the country. And just as um, he was meeting him, he, the secretary of the minister of religion was limping across the room towards him. And before he knew what he was doing, Tommy Hicks prayed for this secretary's healing, which happened immediately. 
Seeing what had happened, the minister of religion promptly arranged a meeting with the president. When Hicks met Perron, the president was at that time suffering from eczema, which left him so disfigured that he allowed no photos to be taken of himself, though his ailment was common knowledge. And as the president listened to Hicks saying what he wanted to come and do in Argentina, preach the gospel, the president asked, can God heal me? And Perón replied, give me your hand. And right there he prayed, and the president's skin was healed instantly. Stepping back in complete amazement, he said, my God, I'm healed. And the president gave instructions that Tommy Hicks should be supplied with whatever he needed, including the free use of a large sports stadium and free access to the state radio and press. Ha! For 52 days, Tommy Hicks preached to a total of 200,000 people. And until this time, there had been a straightforward monopoly in Christianity in that nation, which is a straightforward Catholic monopoly, and any other kind of Christianity was suppressed. These events broke that and changed the history of the nation in its spiritual life. This is good stuff. It might seem, though, a bit like a kind of alien reality, the kind of story that you hear about things that happen to other people. Um, I can't, I've been numbing and ahhing as to whether to share names for this next bit of a story, but some of you will know who I'm talking about. But someone who is a member of our church here um, had a prophetic word for someone who uh, declared that they would become the prime minister of our nation, declared it to them before they were the leader of their political party, which then happened. Which then led to the Prime Minister of Britain calling this prophetic figure back and saying, what else does God have to say to me now that I'm Prime Minister of Great Britain and Northern Ireland? These are not just far-off stories, the things that that happen here. This is not an an alien reality, but there's a geezer. (laughs) There's something bubbling up. It's available to us. If you're thirsty, Jesus says, come to me. And there is, there is power. Um, where's Simon? Come and share whatever it is. I don't know what it is you have, but I trust you. <laughs> so come and share it. <laughs> he trusts me. That's good. <laughs> Praise God. Um, Steve encouraged us if we... Uh, just to pray at the beginning, and if there was anything that God, we felt God was saying to anybody to come up and share it. So I've got, I've got three little things. One thing I, I felt actually for Rod, who just said, yay, just then. Rod, <laughs> I felt like God was saying to you that you've been wanting more of him, and you've been beating yourself up perhaps even in wanting more of him in your life. And he says that there's a fresh grace coming upon you that is just from him and is not no effort from you. And I, we just pray, Lord, would you bring a fresh grace on Rod in this season in his life, Lord? I just felt like there's a fresh, freshness to your presence in his life coming. And we, we call that into being now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, 
There's, there's a couple, and I've met you before, and what, the guy's got the red T-shirt on, and the lady's got the... Uh, what, what are your names again? Sorry. Simon and Callie. Simon and Callie, I just felt like God was wanting to remind you that he's got some promises that he's spoken over your life over the years and that they haven't gone away in his mind and his purposes for you are very strong and very clear and he's going to work in your lives. And I felt like there's a a time now for a renewal of some faith and expectation in what he's going to do in and through you because he, he is completely persistent in his love for you and his work in your lives and I felt like it's an encouragement for you just to ah, like sometimes we just need to throw off things that have come up on our lives and caused us to be a bit pressed down and I I just feel like he's calling you now to throw that off and be who he's called you to be because there's some some special things that he's spoken into your lives that he's going to fulfill because he's God Almighty and he does that sort of thing, doesn't he? <laughs> so bless you. I'm happy to pray with you afterwards or whatever. Um, there's one other person. There's, there's a guy who's sitting next to Rachel and you've got a white T-shirt on. And I felt like God wanted to say something quite straightforward to you this morning, which is that... In, in some areas of our lives, we have only a little bit of hope that something's going to happen. And God says, you don't need an awfully big lot of hope. You don't need a big faith or a big hope that things might happen in your life. You just need, he talks about a mustard seed of faith, which is kind of the smallest seed and then grows into a tree. And I just felt like God wanted to say to you this morning that you only need a small amount of faith. All it is, is reaching out to him and he's going to do transforming things in your life and and that's that's what his promise is to you so I just felt wanted to encourage you in that even if you feel like I might not have a lot of hope or faith for something God's going to do that in your life so again I'd be happy to pray with you afterwards if that would help in any way and I'd be happy to pray more with Rod as well (laughs) great good okay yeah thanks Simon that's good isn't it this access to the what God wants to do actively amongst us. It's not far off. Jesus says the kingdom of God is near. Don't have to go searching because he's here. Now, I'm going to change gear and finally get to the passage from which I'm preaching this morning. Fear not. You will get home in time for lunch. But there's a need to change gear. And to explore the question... Oh, that's, that was, oh, that's Tommy Hicks with President Peron there. There we go. I should have clicked that. I want to explore this question about pathways to power and just remind us all that the Christian pathway to power is very, very different to the world's. And there are some pathways less taken that God wants to invite us onto. Some pathways that are pathways to power, but they are pathways less taken. I want to read to you from 2 Corinthians 12 and the first 10 verses of that chapter. The context for this is that the church in Corinth that Paul has been involved with, there are a whole number of people there that are rejecting his leadership 
And so he's in the midst of this kind of awkward thing where he's saying, no, look, I am brilliant, but I can't say that because that's I can't boast. But no, can't you recognize the leadership God's given me? But uh, I don't want to say it like that. I shouldn't be having to talk to you like that. And so there's a little bit of strange turn of phrase here that hopefully, if you're not familiar with this passage, that context will help you understand. That's not our focus. The focus in reading this is, is about how God's power is, is at work. And it goes like this. Paul says, I must go on boasting, though there's nothing to be gained. But I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. And he says, I know a man in Christ. Now, when we get further in the passage, it becomes clear that this man in Christ is Paul himself. He's just trying to avoid telling people because he doesn't want to boast, but it ends up spilling out that it's him. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Now, the third heaven, in Jewish understanding at that time, was the place right close to God. That's what that means, right up to God in heaven. Now, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. And he heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. Now, I will boast about a man like that. I will not boast about myself, except, and here's a change of gear, except about my weaknesses. See, even if I should choose to boast, I wouldn't be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so that no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. This is the bit I really want us to come on to. To keep me from being conceited because of the surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul writes, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak then I'm strong. Now, this is deep stuff. (laughs) And may God help me to say a few things from it. Here's here's, Here's some thoughts. In the ways of this world, we seek power through trying to get hold of social status, trying to climb up the slippery pole to be amongst people of influence. Some of you have joined LinkedIn in the hope that you might connect with someone more important that would further your career. That kind of stuff. Try to get up there amongst important people. Jesus says, when you are amongst people, take the lowest seat and wait. Take the lowest seat and wait to be called up. So there's a worldly way that says, let me to the high table. Give me the place of influence. 
Jesus says that's not the way to do it. Rather, what matters is not all the people that you know, but it's rather about encountering God. There's this spiritual power comes from an encounter with God. And so Paul, explaining his strength of leadership, says, I've got to tell you, you know, I was caught up to a vision of God. I was with God. There's a spiritual, rather than a social status thing, there is a spiritual encounter, which is the path less traveled. Now, Paul says, Paul describes an unusual spiritual encounter, this being caught up to the third heaven and to paradise. But I'm sure you know that for all of us, there is a new and living way that has been opened up for us by Jesus to God's very presence. Paul had some distinctive encounter, but that access to the very presence of God is an encounter, is a spiritual encounter that's available to all of us. It's not hard. It's not difficult because Jesus has made a way. All we, all this means really is, is acknowledging as we have this morning already that God's presence is with us, his people, and inviting him once again to be Lord of our lives, saying, Lord, I love you. Thank you that you loved me first. And I want to, to know you and to rest in your presence and to be still with you and to honor you. And I want to pour my heart out to you and be in relationship with you. And so to enter in afresh into relationship with him in this spiritual encounter, in this time spent in the presence of God, anxiety ebbs away. And there's a refreshing clarity of mind and heart that soaks in. Revelation comes to us. And determination and faith and resilience are built in us. And yes, God may indeed speak some wonderful word that it insight and revelation like some of the things that we've heard this morning. But even if he doesn't, we are strengthened. And he builds us as a people of power as we wait upon him. I mentioned before a man that some of you will have met. His name is David. lives at a tea um, plantation in Kanur in India. Who was stro- he was leading a church there, struggling, struggling to see things happen. And God spoke clearly to him and said, I want you to stop doing anything useful for three weeks. And his initial reaction was, well, I'll spend that time praying then. It's a call to prayer. And he heard a further nudge from the Holy Spirit. He said, no, I said nothing. And he heard this very clear direction from the Lord to just put his feet up for three weeks and not try to make anything happen, but to be still. It says in Zechariah chapter 2, be still before the Lord, all mankind, because he has roused himself. Stepping into that truth that we can be still because God is, God's on the move. Spent three weeks doing nothing. At the end of it, started to write a list of things that he would have to now start doing and catch up on because he'd been passive. And people started coming and knocking on his door, telling him how all the things that had been intractable problems for him were solved anyway because God had spoken to other people and sorted them all out anyway. Power does not come from getting in amongst people. Power comes from being in God's presence. Uh, 
many people seek power in order to be able to express and impose their will on other people. And what the superior position that gives the, the power to tell other people what to do, not so for the Christian. See, for us, it's submission. We receive power precisely as we submit to God's will, not by gaining a place of, of, of superiority, but by taking a place of submission. There is a dynamic power in the Christian life that switches on when we submit to God. There's a dynamic of authority. Um, some of you are nodding because you've experienced it. If you've not, if you don't, if you, this doesn't immediately make sense to you, I'm telling you there is a whole new horizon in the Christian life for you to discover here. You submit to God and it's like an authority comes into play. His power comes into a whole new dynamic in your life. Submitting to God. Um, David Yonggi Cho, pastor of the largest church in the world, has a simple phrase which surprises me because it rhymes in English and I don't know whether it rhymes in Korean. But the phrase is, I pray and I obey. I pray and I obey. I think many of us instead experience something more like, I, I pray and then I get on, get on with all the stuff that I've got to do. I pray and then I get on with all the stuff that I've got to do as I set about trying to make the world how I think it should be. There's something further for us to discover. This is all in, I'm not pulling it out verse by verse from the passage, but it's there where Paul says, God, would you just, would you relieve me of this thorn in the flesh? None of us know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. People have speculated. He doesn't tell us and we don't know, but it was painful. And he says, I could do without this pain, God. And God says, no, 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 this pain's good for you. I've determined it's my will for your life. Paul embraces what God has for him. It's a submissive heart. And there's a power that's released. My, what does it say here? It says, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Which takes me to the last thing. You know, we're often looking for success. We associate power with success. But here we have it stated clearly that power is linked with, in the Christian life, power is instead linked with suffering. In God's plan for Paul's life, it's right for him to have a thorn in his flesh. And it's what enables Paul to say, when I am weak, then I am strong. I have puzzled over this verse quite a bit. It seems to me, on the face of it, it makes no sense. I mean, either you're weak or you're strong. You might have moments of being weak and moments of being strong, but the fact that he says, when I am weak, then I am strong, I've puzzled over that. And then I've remembered, and I'm sure you can say the same for times in your life when you've seen God move in power, that those moments of God moving in miraculous power are not experienced as feeling super strong ourselves. If I think of the times when I've seen most extraordinary answers to prayer, I remember being at a theological college in Nepal and Steve Thomas saying to me, in just a minute, Steve, Thomas is go uh, Steve Jones is going to come and bring some words of knowledge for individuals. I'm like, I am? <laughs> I did not know that was going to happen. Oh, dear. 
And in that moment, then having very clear revelation and um, had a word for someone that changed the course of her life. And the rest of that week in that theological college, I had people coming up to me saying, so where's my life going? And I was like, you don't understand, I don't do that normally. But that experience, you think, oh, well, strength and power. I felt terrified and weak. I felt weak. Normally, when I prepare to preach, I, I, people think, because I come across as quite confident, I don't feel that way. The idea of telling you all a load of stuff uh, still makes me nervous. It's, it's not a feeling of, it's not a feeling of strength. Well, it kind of is a feeling of strength, because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And when I'm strong, you wouldn't believe it, but then I'm weak. There's a softness of heart, an an understanding that God is glorified in my weakness. As Paul has already said in this this letter, in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7, God puts the treasure that he puts in our lives in jars of clay to show that this surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. It's not us that's strong. We're not strong in ourselves. But in this weakness... He makes us strong. Now, by now, this talk of submission and suffering ought to be reminding us of something really important. And that is the cross. The cross of Christ is where these things all come together. It all makes sense. It all unites. At the cross, Jesus submitted to the Father's will. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, not my will. Your will be done. He submitted to the Father and went to the suffering of the cross. He bore our suffering and such power was released as had never been seen before. It says in Matthew 27, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and rocks were split and, get this, The tombs were opened, and the bodies of the saints who'd fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. That's crazy stuff. I mean, I don't know if you notice in there that they come out of the tombs when Jesus dies, and they hang around for a couple of days until after his resurrection before coming into the city. I mean, what kind of party were they having? Some resurrected from the dead, but it's not time to go see our mates yet party. Dead cool party. Thank you, Jez. It was an extraordinary power that's released through what? Submission. And through suffering, there are pathways to power that are intended for us in the Christian life, but they get less traveled. You can tell why, can't you? So what we have the opportunity to do now, we have bread and we have wine. We have gluten-free bread and we have something non-alcoholic too. It's an opportunity today for us to remember Jesus' death for us. To remember his suffering and to choose to follow him in his suffering. 
to remember his submissiveness and to choose to follow him in his submissiveness. And in doing so, to rest in the spiritual encounter that this communion offers us of being in him and him being in us. Mark, lead us on.